Okay, hey. Usually I come up here with my library. And so we can prove that maybe you can teach an old dog new tricks, right? Ben? <laughs> he was over at the house uh, trying to uh, encourage me to use some brief notes. <laughs> so I didn't bring my library with me. So anyway, so here we are. And I uh, had some uh, things happen this morning, and I felt like singing a song to you, but I think I'll ignore that right now. We'll go to Psalms 119. Well, I could tell you what it is. I could give you, let me see here. Hold on. Maybe I'm not going to do it. Sorry about that. Anyway, it's a. Uh, I was trying to give you the scripture reference for that. And it is. It's in uh, Psalm 40, verse 2. And it, it reminded me of a faith school that I went to in this morning. Uh, there's been some interesting circumstances over the last 24 hours. One of our. One of our great things in warfare is worship and worshiping the Lord and and the joy of the Lord comes down and it changes our atmosphere so anyway this morning I want you to go to Psalm 119 this psalm is noted for its treatment of the word and it's a great psalm on the word of God it's arranged, it's the largest psalm in the Bible. It's arranged in groups of eight. And every single group, there's 22 groups, are the 22, they begin with the 22 letters of the alphabet in Hebrew. So as we look at that this morning, though, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be high, high, uh, highlighting some things in Psalm 119. And so I'm going to read a little bit for you. This is the NLT. It says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the, the instructions of the Lord. Joy, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees and so as I look through parts of this word I'm not going to read tons of this because there's 176 verses in the psalm but we know that the, the word of God says we don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and Jesus said he said his words were spirit and they are truth and so one man has said this, there's books you read, and there's the Bible that reads you. And we know that the Word of God separates, it says, uh, bone and flesh, and, and it actually is a discerner of the intents of the heart. And so God has told us that we need to be reading 
and digesting this word. Because in this word, especially in the New Testament, well, it's in the Old Testament as well, are all the promises of God. And they're the things that he has said he will do for us if we're faithful to him. And, and those promises, it says, a bit of that heavenly life. And so we live, we are actually living, the whole, actually the whole world is, is living by the word of God because God has set the seas, the edge of the seas and the land. He keeps the earth to rotate. And one of the first things I noticed as a young Christian, because it says he created everything, and by him all things consist. And so when you grow up and you go to school and they start telling you you've got neutrons and protons and electrons and everything's spinning around. So this hard thing here is held together. And it says, by whom all things consist. And Jesus, so Jesus was there for the creation. And Jesus is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it's the absorption of this world word until it becomes part of us and that we grow in it and we start to use it. And then we, we become confident in what the word of God says. And so Psalm 119 is an exposition of that word. But within the exposition of this word is a statement of their statement of, and confession of faith, really. They're saying who they are. And at the same time, it's right in the same sentences, they're saying like this, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. And there's places here that say they actually kept the commandments. And then in verse 5 it says, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. So sometimes you read in the Old Testament that faith, by faith they did amazing things. You know, they subdued kingdoms and they... They raised the dead. They did all these things. You know, that's Elijah and all the things that Elijah did. In the New Testament, there's all the healings, deliverances, and all those magnificent things that they did. But in this, you see that they're admit, admitting both sides of their relationship with the Lord. They're admitting where they are, and they're allowing God to examine who they are and what they're doing. And so the faith that they exhibit, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it's called faithfulness. And, and they talk about faithful, faithfulness quite often. So if you look at verse 17, it says there's actually petitions in this psalm. In the New Testament, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. And you'll see that they're actually, actually asking in verse 17, it says, Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. And as I read this, it seems like they're actually asking God to act on their behalf. It says, I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I'm always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me. And so at the same time that they are praising him for the commands and the things, they are asking him to develop them 
in these things and to strengthen them in the commands and to to give them, if you could call it, because it's hard to see grace sometimes in the Old Testament, but actually they're asking for the grace to walk in what he's asked them to walk in. And they're operating in a place where they're actually exercising faith toward these things. Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. In the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is our confession. He's the, he's the uh, I forgot what the actual term is, but anyway, he's our confession. He's the high priest of our confession. It says in the King James, he's the high priest of our profession. And oftentimes in the, in the sidles say our confession. And it's interesting to note that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, confession becomes very important because he asks us to confess to him. You know, that we would confess our sins to him. We would confess that we believe that God raised Christ from the dead. And it says, and thou shalt be saved. That in your confession is power. And when he called you, he called you into power as sons and daughters in John 1.12. To as many as received him, to them gave he power, the authority to be sons and daughters. So faith is wound up in all these things. It says that we receive faith when we hear it, right? And we hear it, we are to hear it over and over. That in the Old Testament, they were promised success if they would continually read the Word of God. So in verse 25, we have from 25 to 32, there's eight verses just like some of the others. It's one, two, three, that's the fourth set of eight out of 22. And the psalmist is saying, this is not David, but we, I don't think we really know who it is. It says, I lie in the dust, revive me by your word. The humility in this. You know, God dwells in the high and holy place with him who is of a humble and contrite heart. And contrite means broken. So the, the psalmist is acknowledging this. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I told you my plans and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments. And I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I've chosen to be faithful. I've determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Paul, don't let me... Sorry. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands. For you expand my understanding. The King James actually says, you enlarge my heart. There's a, there's a Jewish man who studies that verse and brings up a, a racehorse that was nominated as one of the, I don't know how many it was, 
um, important athletes. You say, why would you put a racehorse as an important athlete? Well, he run one races, and one of his race, he was 31 horses ahead of the last one behind him. So when he died, they opened him up. And that was this man's point, that his heart was two and a half times the size of every other horse. And that's why he had such strength. Well, God wants to enlarge our hearts so that we can walk in his commandments. And these people, are they're asking for it. And it's almost as though they're sitting before the Lord and they're talking to him and they're, they're crying out to him and they're asking him, would you do this? Would you accomplish this in my life? And they're recognizing the fact that by themselves they're not able to do it. And that's where we are human beings. By ourselves we're not able to do this. We have to believe that God is present in everything we do. And that we have to believe when you stand behind the pulpit that God is going to be with you when you get up here. Right, Ben? And sometimes, you know, and I believe that's part of the trial uh, speaker goes through, that, that he realizes how vulnerable he is. So there's an asking going on here. And Jesus said, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock and it shall be given to you. And they're asking that God would work all these things in their heart. Now, Selena this morning was talking about commandments. And the, the commandments are mentioned all over here, but we, we know that God gave us two big ones, didn't he? He really simplified it for us, uh, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, and that we love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And, and we... In the, in the Gospels, uh, they're, they're rewarding those people who, qual who cry out for righteousness. And they're asking the Lord to make them righteous. They're asking the Lord to purify them. They're asking the Lord to bring them to a new place in him. The, and God has said in the New Testament, he said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he a great example, didn't he, the Israelites yeah, but the Israelites had everything. They had all the commands. They had all the things to do, but it says that it wasn't mixed with faith in them. And so he wasn't pleased with them. And so God has called us to exercise faith. And there's times that we don't, we don't see the... In fact, in fact, I believe much of Christianity doesn't think that God wants to bless them. Some people think they're made to be poor, and God doesn't want to bless their prosperity but God God definitely is interested in prosperity two things that he really honors one is the family the other one is the church and personally um, if we're going to exercise faith for something and be blessed in something it always helps if we can do something that and ask the Lord for something that blesses him and his kingdom and I thought when when I was a single man that I wanted another car that I wouldn't buy a sports car when I was single, but I'd buy a car that's big enough so I could take other people with me. And so I would take people to Catherine Coleman, or I'd take them out to New York City, or I'd take them in the city places. And some of them, uh, some of the people I knew had received the Lord, but never knew how to hold a job. So 
I think, I think what God wants us to do is to exercise faith and to use what God has given us to bless other people. So, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So, is the, is the Lord interested in prosperity? Well, I think he is. I think he's very interested. I remember in the, after 9-11, uh, there was a great shakeup in the religious community and, and in a lot of places. And there was one young man who had lost his, uh, he was in the process of losing his house. And he lost his job. He worked in one of those RV factories up in Napanee. He lost his job, and people in that factory, that was like the Cadillac of RVs, and they made $70,000 a year working in that factory. And so that was a big thing, and he had a nice uh, Cape Cod new home. And uh, anyway, I'm going to give you a, a psalm that was shared for him. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted by the river, river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. So I believe, I believe with all my heart this is a picture of a person who has their eyes in, these, in this word, and their roots deep into what God has for them. And that in the midst of that, even though there's drought, they're being fed. And I remember that that man went out and lost his job, now formed a construction company, kept his house, hired a bunch of people, and worked all the way through that 9-11 problem. And I believe with all my heart that God wants us to have things. He wants us to be a blessing. He wants us to be a big enough blessing that we can hand it over to someone else. But he also wants us to realize that when we don't have it, we need to ask for it. When we come to church, we need to believe that God is going to manifest himself, his Holy Spirit in the church. And we need to believe that God is busy answering these kind of prayers to people. And he wants them to come here and be fed because man doesn't live by bread alone. And all these things, in, in some cases it's hard for people to imagine. We all work for everything and we want to work so that we can receive and function. But there's times when we can't work. There's situations that we get in that we can't do anything. And we have to believe that God is still behind all the promises of his word. Because this word is not just printed on the paper. It's a living word of God. And because it's a living word of God, he says, I'll send my word, and, it'll, and it will perform what it's sent for. And so this, you see these things. If you go to Hebrews 11, you'll see it in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, it's called the faith chapter, and you look down through Hebrews 11. And you'll see some of the amazing things that God has allowed to happen and God is doing and has done. And he still does it.
So Jesus is the high priest of our confession. A man, as a man is in his heart, that's what he believes. And so what we need to do, we need to feed our heart. And we feed it with the word of God. So when he's talking about in Psalm 119, enlarging the heart, that that's what we have to do. We have to, we have to get to the Lord. We have to call out to him. We have to ask him. Yeah, he, in fact, he said, he said, if you'll ask me, I'll give you more of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He's a communicator. He's the one who's by your side. He's the one that's ever without you. And people have said that we don't let, you know, part of our problem is Jesus resides in us, but we don't let him out. And sometimes we don't speak. You know, we all go through that. You know, if you're, you're in a situation and, and uh, you don't speak, and later on you're thinking, oh, I should have said something, I should have said something. And I remember I went to see John's teacher, and, and this is probably one of the hardest experiences I ever had. While I was in with John's teacher, and he was young, I, I would guess she might have been a fourth-grade teacher. I don't know. And I get in there, and I said, I'd like to make an appointment with you. I'd, I'd like to talk to you, is what I said. And so she said, um, well, would you like an appointment? And, and every time I asked her, she said the same thing. And I thought I should tell her about the Lord. Well, I'll just get an appointment. And um, I didn't know it, but she'd been having mental problems. And she went home that night closed the garage door, turned the car on, and finished herself. Went out into eternity. So, I'll give you another little, because I think, I think we need what we need in our lives, all of us need it, is to be aware of how important it is for us to witness. And I'm listening to myself this morning, as well as you. <laughs> Because uh, I just remember we had a coffee house uh, with a bunch of kids uh, in the middle of the city in a red light district. And they called a meeting and they were having a conflict about going out in the street or staying in the meeting. And a girl there uh, started weeping she said the Lord showed her people walking up and down the street on fire. And, um, and she was concerned for their souls. And so I, I remember back then I would get into the word and I thought when, when I, because we are, uh, part of our obligation is to try to keep a tender heart. And I would get into the word and I would read about, uh, the worm that dies not and the fire that never is quenched. And God's talking about hell and what happens to people when they go there. And so sometimes it's very good to allow ourselves to be exposed to what God's saying about this and how serious a matter this is. And the other thing that I found really helped me of course, I was single at the time, was when I got a little depressed, 
I would go to the hospital and visit people. And, and it would lift my spirit. And I know in Isaiah, I didn't prepare that this morning, but in Isaiah it says, is not this the fast that I have chosen? And he gives a long list of all the people that we could minister to and the things that we could do. And then he says, if you do that, your health will speed forth. It'll come forth speedily. And he'll be your rear guard. He answers his prayers. And he blesses and will enlighten your heart. This Psalm 119 verse. He will enlarge your heart. If you will go out and step out in faith, he'll meet you. And as a, as a person, uh, we're all like that. You know, we go through seasons in our lives. And what we do when we're single, we do a little less when we're married. And we, if you have eight kids, you do a little less. And, yeah, and I would say uh, I was a little frustrated because I thought uh, I should be ministering more. And people would say to me, you got your own church at home. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so anyway... Uh, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Our profession, they say. Our confession. He is the high priest. He's interested in our confession. Now, it, early on, I wasn't going to share this either, but I'll share it. I was believing for something when I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have a job. And we were newly married, and I was believing for something, and I gave that testimony here once when I first came, I think. And uh, it was a unique time for me. And as I would think and start to say something negative about what I was believing for, it was like the Holy Spirit was right there and just shut up, you know. <laughs> because you're negating the faith you're believing for. And so uh, I kept quiet, and I believed the Lord. I made positive confessions over this. You know, when you get saved, the devil comes around and tells you you're not saved. You can pretty well count on that. And he's going to try and discourage you after you're saved. He puts a little target on you. It's not necessarily the devil. It might be just some demonic activity or, you know, we're, I think we're in, a, we're in a realm right here this morning and everywhere we go that we can't see in. It's as real as we are, and it's reality. And, you know, Isaiah saw it. He, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw all kinds of things, and there's these visions and things in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Jesus saw their faith, and sometimes he saw it through their activity. And I'm sure that some, sometimes he saw it through his discernment. That there's a spiritual realm out there. And so our confession is heard by God. It's heard by the enemy. And it's heard by your spirit. It says your spirit bears witness with his spirit that you're a child of God. That God has given us witness of who we're called to be so that we can function in that. That God has said that he would give you power. God has said that Jesus 
and the Father would manifest himself to you if you would obey his commandments. And this knowledge that Jesus is with you is important. This knowledge is something that backs you up. This is not a dead word. It's a living word. And that's why it can read you. And when you read it, you know that it's talking to your spirit. It's examining your life. And so God's called us to yield to that examination, to allow that word to permeate our being so that when we get in the negative situation, the positive word comes up. And we defend ourselves with that. We defend ourselves with this word because we can take it with us. So we need to come to this place with expectation that God's Holy Spirit is going to manifest himself, that he's going to speak to the ministry here, that he's going to bless the committees and the people that are on them, that he's going to bless all the people that are in the church. He's called us to minister to the people in the church. And so the enemy's business is to say you're, you're, you're nothing, you're useless, you're, you, know, you don't have anything to offer. That's because it's a lie, and he's a deceiver. And he doesn't want you to function in your calling. He doesn't want you to function in your ministry. The church is the place where your calling and ministry is perfected. And so everyone that rises up in the church and whose ministry is used in the church has to overcome this negative confession that the enemy is trying to put on you. It's a lie from the pit because God's called you. He said in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that everyone has a gift. Everyone has gifts. He says he manifests gifts severally as he decides. God can use you in one gift or another gift or another gift. And in terms of, of ministering to people, it says one waters. You know, one, one speaks the word, one waters, and another is the one that picks that flower, you know, that leads someone to Jesus. And so we're all called in this. Many times if, you're, if you've come to the Lord, then you realize that this person spoke to me and that person spoke to me and that person spoke to me because we don't want to listen, right? We don't want to listen necessarily until we get to the place where God, it says God calls us. It, it, that no man comes up to the Father except I call him. That's what Jesus said. And we think we make up our mind. But I'll tell you what, Jesus decided a lot earlier than that, that he was bringing you in. And this, if you'll read Psalm 119, you will see all the positive things, and you will see how they've reached out with their hearts and tried to grasp more and more. And they've admitted their shortcomings, and ask the Lord to strengthen those things that they've, they've admitted. It says in Romans 12, it's a good goal, right, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we come into this thing, we've got a lot of, a lot of baggage. And our baggage will stay there until we decide we're going to take hold of the word that will overcome that baggage, that will lift it off our shoulders, because God wants us to be totally free. Is freedom automatic? No, it's not. It's not necessarily automatic. 
Salvation, in salvation we lose many things. Many things leave us, but not necessarily all. And so as we go on through life, we find there's certain things. It might be something we inherited from mom and dad, you know, some attitude they had toward us. And, and so we have to, it's not, you know, mom and dad's never perfect. And, and so we have to come to Jesus. We have to ask him to strengthen us so that we can overcome these things. So Romans 12, 1 tells you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because he wants your mind saturated with God, with God's promises, and with God's word. Because he wants to teach you. He wants to teach you. He wants to train you. He wants to lead you. And he wants to promote you. He wants you. He doesn't want you to be a child. He wants you to grow up into maturity. When he spoke to Abraham, he said, be perfect. And that meant be mature. And so maturity comes through trials, right? Trials are hard sometimes. But when we get delivered... It's a great thing, you know. It says, you know, you come out into a large room in one place. And I know my trials, our trials, sometimes we felt like we're in a corner and there's no way out. And I, I'm sure I said that here before. And, and we'd hang, hang on, maintain our confession, believe God if, if it was resources or whatever it was. And it was like God took, took the corner away. It's gone. And we were free. And, and that's what God wants for us. Proverbs 4.20 says, Pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. It's your heart. You've got to keep your heart with all diligence. Oh, I had one more. Let's see. One more word I want to give you. Well, this little system works if you don't mix them up. <laughs> oh. Yeah, let's see here. It's Ezekiel. Ezekiel, and I believe it's 36. Sorry, guys. I had a card for this. Well, I'll tell you what it says. It says, I will take your stony heart out of you and replace it with a heart of flesh. 
And for most of us, at least a lot of us, if you've given your heart to Jesus, he's taken the stony heart out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And if we aren't careful and we don't stay in the word, we can start to get stony again. And we need to tenderize ourselves, tenderize our hearts through opening his word and allowing it to examine ourselves, allowing it to examine where we're at, where we're going, what we're doing, and allowing the Lord to speak to us and show us how to accomplish what we need to accomplish and to allow that Holy Spirit to work, that word to work in our hearts to keep us tender, keep us pliable. And if we can do that, then he'll grow us. He'll grow us. He'll perfect us. He'll bring us with a ministry or a word for your neighbor or a blessing for your neighbor, whatever it is. God knows what we all need. The biggest thing we need is to be sensitive. And I think we all have a tendency, sometimes we have to overcome, sometimes we have to overcome what we feel is our inadequacies and so we don't communicate the way that we should and I'm guilty of that uh, I suppose that's uh, that's just something we have to overcome and God's called us to grow up together and to be used one to another so let me pray Heavenly Father I just thank you this morning I thank you Lord that I'm in God's congregation that we're in his kingdom, Father. And if there's any that have a stony heart that don't know Jesus yet, we ask, Father, that you would bless them this morning. If, there's, uh, if you just bow your head, if there's anyone like that who doesn't know Jesus, who'd like to meet him, would you raise your hand? Amen. Uh, we'll have some deacons back into the prayer room at the end. and. Father, I just ask your blessing, Father. Would you bless these people? Would you bring them and strengthen them, Father, as they come to church? As they go home, we ask that you would speak to them, that you give them a hunger for your word, Father. We want a hunger for your word. Increase your hunger. Increase the presence of your Holy Spirit in this church, Father. We ask you to bless everyone who's here. We thank you for them coming. In Jesus' name. Amen.